0: Hey, it's Matt Robeson Beyond Politics. I'm bringing you a bonus episode here. This is a recording of an interview I did with progressive radio host Matt McNeil, who comes to us out of Minnesota. He's been featured on this show before. I've been a guest on his show before. And he just had me back to talk about my recent Newsweek article calling out the New York Times for a really awful incident last week the errant rocket fire from another terrorist group that hit a hospital in Gaza. And they basically blatantly accepted a Hamas-issued press release, and they accused Israel of doing it. And that had consequences. There are two people who died in street protests as a consequence. And there's an impression that's been set because of the New York Times and the coverage in other mainstream media outlets that followed on the cues given by the New York Times. And so we talked a little bit about what's going on in media, why they're falling for stuff like this, what kinds of pressures they're coming under. Is this that they're all going woke? I don't think so, really. I I think it's, it's something else, but it's hard to defend them, which I do when they have episodes like this. So here's my conversation with Matt McNeil. If you like what you hear in this conversation, Check out Matt McNeil's show. It's also available as a podcast. You can also stream it directly from AM 950 out of Minnesota. And with that, here is Matt.
1: AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. Matt Robeson is kind enough to join us right now. Uh, We've had him on before. He has a latest uh, opinion piece here in Newsweek. We'll get to that. Of course, he is a podcaster as well, uh, which I highly encourage you to check out. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing great.
0: It's really fun to be with you because I got to tell you, after we ran our interview together in the Beyond Politics podcast of my show, people loved it. People were like, you know, the listenership was awesome. Uh, I think some fans of yours have come over to me and maybe vice versa.
1: Well, I, I, would, I would, I would, I I hope not that didn't happen. I, I've seen my fans. Uh, I apologize about that. No, I'm just kidding, guys. No, it was a lot of fun. And you want to know the truth is, I think that as, as I've heard before, it just is, being unapologetically Democrat is, is refreshing nowadays. It's, it's nice to to just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize or act like it's a, there's, there's a valid other side of the cause, whether it's, you know, healthcare for all or feeding the hungry or quality education. No, these are, these are one-sided issues. You're either for them or against them. I have, I'm for them. I'm for quality, sanity and society. That's why I'm a Democrat. And I don't, I think that that's why it, it, it resonates somewhat. So thank you. It was very nice to be on your podcast.
0: Uh, it was absolutely a pleasure. And I agree with you that people are hungering for something that's straight talk, not straight in like, you know, the newfangled sense, but like something that it is unapologetic and that doesn't get involved in some of the media insanity that I know we're going to talk about today that I was trying to point out in my article. But it's very, very hard to Get any piece of news, any piece of analysis that doesn't feel like it's it's skewed, that mm-hmm. it's it's kind of being tugged at by business interests and social media interests and all kinds of other. Can I say crap on the radio? You on can TV say crap. Yeah, yeah, it's okay.
1: It's, yeah, we say that here all the time. Uh, Good, <laughs> uh, I want to preface this discussion just very quickly. All right, everyone. What happened when Hamas attacked Israel? That was horrific. You, you know, I it it just you know, the slaughter at a music festival, kidnapping people, killing people in their home, 22 dead Americans. What Hamas did was atrocious. We can, anyone can sit there and say, you know, Israel has a right to exist. Do they do everything right? Of course not. And we can have discussions about that. We can also talk about the condition of the Palestinians and where they, and, how, and how they've been treated. Obviously, that's a point here. But there is no discussion here that what Hamas did was atrocious the people, there are people, including the Pope and many other, who are being very critical of the heavy-handed response by Israel back. We can have a discussion about these things, but this let's make sure we get that out first, that this was a horrific attack by Hamas on Israel. I, I have a hard time imagining this even happening without some sort of inside information. I'm looking at Russia, frankly. But that, that aside, that is a horrible thing that's happened now. That being said, I'm so glad you said that, by the way. I I, I wish more progressives could simply
0: enunciate. I'm saying this like, you know, like within the family here. Right. Yeah. I I wish more progressives, more Democrats could just say what you just said, Matt. You know, it's possible to hold both of those thoughts in your mind at the same time. Absolute horror at an atrocity, at, at, at a war crime level atrocity by a terrorist organization. And to say We disagree with many of the actions that the current Israeli government has taken and the people acting on its behalf. And we wish that they would be wise mm-hmm. in, in their response going forward because we value innocent lives and there are innocent lives in Gaza. I say this as a Democrat, as a liberal, and I'm Jewish, by the way, for what it's worth. I can say all of those things. And it's just, it, it, it's very hard for me to see so many Democrats fail to be able to say something as, as straightforwardly as you did.
1: Well, and there's, there's too many other people as well that um, Hamas is a terrorist organization. That's just, that's, it's the epitome of a terrorist organization. Not all Palestinians are Hamas, for God's sakes. And you, you just sit there and, and whenever I see someone say all Palestinians are responsible, I was like, no, that you're, that is, that's, that's just as bad rhetoric as anything else. There's a lot of people that are just trying to freaking live their lives who, because of this terrorist group, have seen their lives upended. It is, there are no easy answers. There's no easy solutions. You can basically, you know, look at this from a neutral point of view. And at the end of the day, I think we all can agree. What Hamas did was horrible to Israel, and we have to look at where we go from there. Now, your your editorial, your opinion piece in Newsweek, you go after the New York Times as someone should because specifically— there was this, you know, errant missile by the Palestinians that smacked into the parking lot of the hospital, ended up killing a lot of people. And there was very quickly a narrative that was put out before anyone knew exactly what had happened, that Israel itself had struck this hospital we now know through, the, through what exactly had happened that no, this was a, it was a, a Palestinian mis, miss Palestinian missile that hit their own hospital. That's what caused it. That's the case. But the New York Times didn't do their due diligence, did they?
0: 100% exactly right. And much like my position on this, when I offer criticisms, a little bit of pushback within the family to Democrats, to liberals, to progressives, it comes out of a constructive place. I want to tell you that I grew up in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I grew up in New York City. I, when I didn't have the money at times as a young teenager, I loved the New York Times. I revered the New York Times so much. I used to know an old street trick with the vending machines in New York. (laughs) I don't want to get caught up by the cops here, but I may or may not have taken advantage of that to pop open those machines and get my New York Times. And yes, I would refold it back afterwards frequently to put it back because I just wanted, I needed to read it. With great power comes great responsibility. The New York Times is the flagship media organization on earth. It is the one that other media organizations look to and should look to. They set the tone and their coverage on its own eclipses all the, the coverage of all the other organizations out there. So if you can imagine after 9-11, if the New York Times had taken a press release from al Qaeda and run with it, literally run with it after hours claiming that the U.S. had committed an atrocity—it's—it's it's an unconscionable thought. It's—it's it's not even an experiment worth entertaining in our minds. That is what the New York Times did here with a release from Hamas that they credulously ran with. Their their headline was, "Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital," comma Palestinians say. And I want people to read the Newsweek article. I break that down um, as a writer. As an editor, I can tell you that it is horrible English that no editor worth their salt should accept. But it's it's what's underneath it that bothers me so much. And I'll just close on this thought. You and I have talked before about. How horrible Fox News is, the the damage that conservative media is doing to America is doing to our brains. The New York Times and other flagship mainstream media organizations have a responsibility to be different, to actually uphold journalistic standards. And when they fall apart, it is really troubling. It's really troubling. It's a it's a critical function in America and for our democracy. And unfortunately, this one has had some real and devastating and immediate tragic consequences. And I'm afraid that the consequences are going to continue to linger for months to come. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: You brought up the New York Times, BBC, um, uh, public radio, public television here in the United States. Uh, I, would, I would make it even maybe even CNN to a point. But I mean, really, if you I'm going to bring in the BBC, because if you're looking at worldwide news as well, they are a bellwether standard uh, as well. And when they make a mistake and they have made mistakes, no one is harsher on themselves than them. They will very call they very clearly call it out and maybe I mean, and I, I know that we can probably pull out a case here or there where they might not have been the case, but they would have never put this forward. I don't think this this headline would have ever happened on BBC period, but if it had, they would immediately pull it down and on every freaking signal they have across the globe, they would have apologized for it and said it was wrong. That's you know without getting too much into your opinion piece because we do want people to read it and I'll link to it on on the social media a little bit later on. Uh, The New York Times is not exactly owning this mistake. No, and what you saw them do
0: was a series of sorry, not sorry, backpedals in the hours after their initial headline that I just read out to you. And the backpedals, which I cataloged in the article, were sort of this mealy mouth hash of, you can't just come out. And it's it's like when you give someone an apology, it's like, I am sorry if anyone was offended by my actions. Like, that's not an apology. And now they've come out with, their uh, non, their, their biggest non-apology apology, five days after my piece and after this whole thing unfolded, they put out what they call an editor's note. Well, there's a euphemism for you. How about a, oh my gosh, we screwed up. Yeah. How about that? And they admit to what we've known, what was in my piece, what we've known for five days here. I'm not claiming credit, by the way, for the, th- the fact that the Times did this. But they, they own up to the fact that, gee, we did something bad here. There were immediate consequences. Two people died in violent protests in the aftermath of the coverage that they and other flagship media organizations led, because the lie makes it halfway around the world before the truth even gets its pants on. And in this case, that's what happened. And based on the lie, based on a Hamas, a terrorist organization's press release, people took to the streets, they burned buildings, two people were killed, and the New York Times is still not owning up to it. They're saying, oh, gee, we should not have put out that headline and we will try to take steps to make sure we don't do this kind of thing in the future. How about we're sorry? Mm-hmm. We really did a bad thing here. We're going to change. People will accept that. But you you got to own it first. And I, I just I don't want to make it seem like I'm literally being the grammar police here. But it's not just that people died, which is tragic. It's that an impression has now set in on the street around the world that's going to take months, if not years, to undo, and that could cause real significant harm and further inflame the situation with the war. And that would be
1: incredibly tragic. And the New York Times has to own that. Well, and, and, and this is anytime you're in a conflict zone, especially in the Middle East, you cannot just run with a headline without doing the due diligence. I mean, we, we have Ukraine and Russia right now. And, you know, they, you know sure, you have the right wing outlets that are basically like, well, Russia's just a misunderstood person here. But at the same time, there has been, I, I, and from a lot of media outlets, I, I commend them just not to take the Ukrainian press releases and run with them in a way to just counterpoint that. They, they, there has been some level of due diligence. This was, I mean, especially to be so wrong on it. There is a responsibility by a major news organization. that if you are sending people in there to cover things, you cannot just run with headlines just because you think that's what has happened. You have to know before you write the headline. And it is a little bit
0: like, this is an old-fashioned metaphor. You remember clocks, like analog clocks? Yes. Grandfather clocks. You know, we're of a certain age. Well, clocks used to chime on the hour and at midnight, noon, you'd get 12 chimes. There's an old saying that, This kind of situation is like the 13th chime on a clock. It's not only wrong in itself, it calls the underlying mechanism into question. And you have to ask about the whys of all of this. Now, the Times has been subjected and other media organizations to a relentless campaign from Fox News and their Republican henchmen of, you're all woke, this is all wokeism. I'm not willing to grant that yet. I'm still going to stand up and defend these institutions. They're not Fox News. They are fundamentally different. I don't think it's necessarily wokeness, but I do think it's weakness. I do think that they are being responsive to financial pressures and political pressures and the loudest voices, the most extreme voices. And they know that nowadays it's all about engagement on social media and they're being responsive to that. And by the way, if you read in their non-apology apology today, they cite that. They cite the fact that, huh, we came under some pressure here from Twitter. Believe it or not, Twitter was what the, the institution, the platform that called this out, that brought it to my attention. When Twitter is correcting your yeah. journalistic practices. Yeah.
1: Look in the mirror, people. Well, you bring up something here, which is so important. This is why this is such a major fail. And I, we have seen it in newspaper and newspaper across the country. Back in the 90s when fox news started getting traction there came this mentality that unless you're printing republican party press releases as verbatim fact that you're part of the liberal media the the, the they'd call the star tribune the red star the, the the communist rag and at what i have noticed is that the news outlets that stood up to that are still the ones that have kind of the bellwether of 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 the high watermark of of the integrity still left. That it's the ones that basically is like, well, we'd like to report the truth, but have you seen our Twitter followers? followers? They're angry at us. You know, it's like, okay, that should not matter to you. You're a news outlet. You're not the blockbuster movie awards. You know, you you it is this, this false notion that because there's a howler monkey exhibit on the right screaming at you to basically do anything, or else we'll throw our feces at you. You don't curtail yourself to that. You have to basically hold yourself to the standards that you've always been there because the minute you start caving to that is the second you're gone. Because it's in the right wing's interest yes. to
0: say, see, it's all the same, a plague on both their houses. You know, like it's, it's the ultimate whataboutism. And once you're Matt, you are so spot on. Once these institutions, the Times, CNN, Washington Post, once they fall into that trap, then all hope is lost. And it reminds me a little bit of an experience. I went to the Holocaust Museum in Israel 20 years ago, Yad Vashem, which is harrowing experience for anyone, of course. And I was part of a congressional staff delegation there when I was a congressional staffer. We had a bodyguard because we were a congressional staff delegation. The bodyguard was a man named Galad, he was a former Mossad operative. And I saw a photo of former concentration camp inmates who had been liberated, now holding captive their Nazi jailers, holding, holding them ha- uh, uh, captive, you know, guns trained on them. And I turned to Galad and I said, I don't know how they have the self-restraint to not attack them after everything they've been through. And this man, who has clearly been through some stuff in his life, turned to me and he said, well, that's the difference between them and us. And as soon as we lose that distinction, and obviously that applies to the current war between Israel and Hamas, but as soon as we lose that distinction, and as soon as the media loses that distinction and they start to behave like Fox News, willing stenographers for a certain point of view, and in this case, willing stenographers for a recognized terrorist organization, then all hope is lost. Once that
1: distinction goes, then we are in real trouble. Yeah, considering these people just want narrative validation, if you give that to them, you will never get your credibility back. And it's unfortunate because there are so many news outlets that have tumbled down that road because they feel as if, well, they're screaming at us loud. And yeah, part of it, you brought up finances. Part of it, it's the money. You know, people saying, well, I'll pull my advertising. You know, you have to have the guts to stand up for your integrity. And, you know, the reality is is, is, there are too many people that – that you know in the in the media industry that are more concerned about the the twitter you know feedback the comment section you know will the republicans yell or yell at us or will some you know as one entity yell at us the reality is is that shouldn't matter you should just report the news and if you're doing that then as as a lot of great news people will say everyone's mad at you because you know you're you're truly doing it neutrally and that's what i think the, the goal should be well Look, I can't defend
0: the New York Times or any of these other institutions against all charges of wokeness. Yes. There have been instances of wokeness, okay, by any definition. I know that's, a, that's an invented, you know, right-wing term, but let's just, let's just leave it as it is, right? Something that falls in that universe of what you could call wokeness. Yeah, there have been incidents. Look, the former lead COVID reporter for the New York Times, Donald G. McNeil Jr., has been a multi-time guest on my show on Beyond Politics after he was fired by the New York Times for an incident that I, I think it's worth reading about. It's sort of the definition of kind of editorial staff, newsroom panic over potential charges that someone might have a misperception. It was a kind of, a, it was a case of walkness. Okay, these things do happen, but they are the exception, I still think, that proves the rule. I still think that there is still the media is still pro- And I mean the mainstream media. I don't mean the right wing propaganda outfits. The real media is still providing such a critical service for us. And it, it's, it's something that we have to kind of cherish and hold on to. That's why I say, I don't think this incident was wokeness. I think it was weakness. I think yeah. it's what you just said. I think it's them responding to financial incentives and knowing that the money-making portion of the New York Times these days Is the subscription model to their online service that's where their bread is getting buttered they're not making money from modern day versions of me like you know going to the vending machines right they're they're not too worried about people like the teenage version of me popping over those machines and and taking some of the physical papers all online that means engagement social media and it means buzz being responsive to the buzz yes and being responsive to those loudest voices which by the way don't even represent the mainstream of the left, yeah. of liberals, of the Democratic Party that is, I think, the biggest audience for them. That's not even who really represents who we are. It's just the loudest and most extreme voices.
1: Excellent piece here uh, at Newsweek, Matt. Uh, we'll we'll make sure we get this posted out there, of course. And everyone listen to the Beyond Politics podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Matt Robeson. Uh, Matt, uh, excellent. Like I said, excellent piece here. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. Matt, always a pleasure to be with you. All right, you bet. Anytime, and we'll have you back by all means. Uh, Matt Robeson, once again, Beyond Politics is a podcast. The, the opinion piece is in Newsweek.